Hey, what's going on? Welcome to another episode of the If You Mark in Your Bible podcast. My name is Josh, your host, and today we are studying 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 11 through 21. My guest with me to participate in this study is Michael Clark. He is a recruiter at the Memphis School of Preaching. Michael, why don't you give us a little something about yourself? Yeah, thanks for having me on the podcast, Josh. Uh, I've known the Walker family for a long time. They're they're like a second family to us. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I am Michael. I work for the Memphis School of Preaching. I have a wife named Megan and two children, Adam and Audie. I also help co-run a podcast network called the Scattered Abroad Network, where there are a bunch of different podcasts on all major platforms. And uh, my particular podcast is called the Far Better Podcast uh, from Philippians 123, to be with the Lord is far better. Uh, but it's my job to travel around and tell people about the Memphis School of Preaching and look for students and look for people who want to proclaim the Word of God. So if that's something that interests you, please reach out to me. I'd be happy to talk to you about our upcoming enrollment dates. Appreciate that. Well worth it as well, uh, at the very least, to to look into it. I can say that from experience. Mm-hmm. As we mentioned earlier, we're doing First Samuel chapter three verses eleven through twenty-one. Just a brief context to get us where we are going to study this morning. The Lord sends a man of God, an unnamed prophet, to Eli, and essentially warns him that if uh, his sons uh, do not straighten up their acts, they're uh, blaspheming God. They're taking advantage of their position. That He was going to bring punishment upon them. Uh, and then we come into verse three. That's at the end of chapter two. We come into verse three and the Lord calls Samuel on three different occasions uh, as he is uh, laying in bed uh, all three times. Samuel goes into Eli thinking it was Eli calling him. Eli tells him that it wasn't I who called him, told him to go back to bed. And then the third time, uh, Eli essentially tells Samuel to answer, speak for your servant hears. Uh, and so uh, when the Lord calls Samuel the fourth time. He says exactly what Eli tells him to say. And God gives him a message that he is to convey to Eli. And uh, it is a doozy. If you want to talk about having to preach your first sermon or give your first uh, prophetic message, old Samuel had a, had a tough one ahead of him. And, uh, I know me personally, I just, I, as I was going through this, it was difficult not to look at this from the perspective of a preacher, but I think in a more general sense, as an evangelistic Christian uh, is, is kind of the tone that I at least kind of went through it and, and pulled from it. So we'll go ahead and begin reading in verse 11. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel, at which the two ears of everyone who hears, hears it will tingle. What are your thoughts on that, Michael? Well, I uh, I do a lot of my Bible marking in Logos Bible software. They have a lot of cool highlighting tools. And uh, usually what I want to do is they have a box tool and then they have a double box tool. So uh, in the first verse here, I've got a box around the word something and it, because this is the, the groundwork that God is basically coming to Samuel and saying, hey, this is the thing that you're going to have to perform, you know, the the commandment of the Lord and telling people about it. But I have a stop sign uh, around the word tingle. And uh, when you look up that word and what it kind of means for someone's ears to tingle, Kaufman, I believe it was, that wrote that it's essentially being smacked upside the head on both sides of the ear. 
<laughs> and you become smart with pain. And it's only found in three occasions in the entire Bible. And the other two cases, uh, occasions, it talks about calamity and chaos. Uh, and so it's, it's not a good thing for ears to tingle. Um, and so if you ever want to get a hold of somebody and really get their attention, just tell them you're going to make their ears tingle. And if they say, what does that mean? Show them. Uh, because it is incredible to hear, you know, like you said a minute ago, the first you know, word of the Lord, because verse one tells us the revelation from God was rare mm -hmm. in this time. It wasn't a common thing for God to just speak to people in this port, part of the, the Old Testament. And the very first revelation that Samuel gets is, hey, uh, it's going to be as if someone's been smacked upside the head in all of Israel and they're not going to like this message. It's right off the bat. We have a huge, you know, demand of what is this going to be about? And it's it's obviously serious enough that God wanted to use an illustration of it's going to rattle the brain around and make you smart with pain. Yeah, it's, it's a difficult message in and of itself. What compounds the difficulty, though, is I think to whom Samuel is supposed to deliver this message. Yeah. You look at the relationship between him and Eli. Uh, no doubt Samuel respected Eli and Eli was great uh, to Samuel. Uh, and their history, and he has to go in and deliver not only some bad news concerning his family, but it also touches uh, Eli uh, a bit as well. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned that the two other times it's used, if you have a reference Bible, you probably have Second Kings twenty-one twelve and Jeremiah 19 and verse 3 in the margin for that. But if you don't, I would encourage you to put those uh, two verses there. And what's interesting about that is you can almost book in the monarchy of Israel and then later on Judah uh, with these uh, with these this phrase uh, the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle uh, because after this Samuel will be the last uh, prophet and then you'll go into the kingship uh, I think it's five chapters later uh, into the kingship of uh, Israel and then the next time you'll hear that phrase again will be at the end when they go into Babylonian captivity and there no longer will be a monarch so. Like Michael, Michael said, it's not good news when God uh, makes that reference. No. Moving on into 12, it says, On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from the beginning to the end. And I will declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore... I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. And like we mentioned earlier, not only are the sons of Eli being chastised here, but Eli himself uh, is being chastised. What are your thoughts there on that, that set of scripture? Yeah, well, you said earlier, you know, talk about the relationship between Eli and Samuel. The only parallel that I can really think of is, in our case, as former students and now graduates of MSOP, this would be like us having to go to one of our instructors and correct a sin. And that's not something that anyone would relish the thought of having to do that because these are men that are respected, men that have studied the Bible and have worked in the, in the kingdom for many years and in some cases decades. And we look at the idea of Eli has been so good to Samuel and as soon as God says the ears are going to tingle, Eli is the first name that comes out of God's mouth. And I can't imagine, uh, you know, I, 
what Samuel's facial expression was like when it was said that it's it's not just anybody, it's your mentor. It's the one that just earlier in the chapter you were going to and saying, hey, I'm here. You called me. I know it's late at night and I want to sleep, but you must need me for something. So here I am. And I've double boxed the the phrases I will perform against and I will judge. And Logos has a, a sign that is a, a uppercase W for the word wrath. Uh, this is the wrath of God coming down upon Eli's unrighteous house, his unholy house. And so I've also highlighted any of the references of his house or what he knew and what he did not restrain with the symbols that Logos has for unholiness and unrighteousness, because the unfortunate thing about this is it's not that Eli was unaware. I think a lot of parents sometimes are told after services or something, you know, Hey, your son or daughter just did X, Y, or Z. And they had no idea that that had happened. Mm-hmm. And then they deal with the problem. This is as if, you know, you go and you tell the parent that something bad has happened. And that father just says, I know that's fine. Uh, this was iniquity. The new King James version uses, you know, it's going to be a, a punishment due to the sin that's happening here. They're vile. Uh, they're morally bad and wicked. And these are modern day, what we would call preacher's kids, so to speak. You know, these, this is a, a man working for God. He's supposed to be working in the house of the Lord, you know, proclaiming the message and doing the duty of a servant of God. And his own children are so wicked and so vile that God had told Eli this would happen. He's going to judge his house forever. And he made himself, made themselves vile and he didn't restrain them. I find it amazing uh, the parallel in the New Testament world, even back with this Old Testament phrase, he did not restrain them. Because of what he did not do, he himself became unrighteous and unholy. Had his children remained as just what they had done, and Eli did everything he could, he corrected it, or he told them that he wouldn't condone it, then Eli's house and what Eli had done and not restraining them would not have been a consideration. But he knew that they were doing these things. His sons made themselves vile, and he just he just let it go. And Man. you read verse 14 too, correct? Correct. Verse 14, uh, the, the word atoned, I have highlighted with the word that they've got in there for atonement. Uh, and then I underlined in pencil the word sacrifice or offering forever because, you know, a sacrifice is supposed to cleanse someone from their sin. It's essentially like writing in pencil something that you've done, and then God takes that eraser and he erases it out. But God says, you're not going to be able to erase this. You're not going to be able with sacrifice or offering to overcome what has happened to Eli's household. It is going to be judged. It is going to be uh, you know, basically taken away because of what happened, and it will not be atoned forever. And I've got here in my Bible, this is an everlasting punishment that God has listed towards Eli's household. And we did our family Bible time recently with our our children. And I asked my son, I said, how serious do you think this was? And he said, it was really serious because God said it's forever. And that tells us something about our job as parents to restrain our children. We can't control them past a certain point, but obviously when they're still under our rule and under our authority, we do everything we can to give them the information and to teach them to be respectful and to do what's right. But when they grow up and they go out of the house, this verse teaches me, this section, 
that I still can't just sit idly by and let them do whatever they want. I have to be able to take a stand, tell them when they do something that's wrong, but that's not easy because they're family. We love them. And I don't know all of the exact reasons why Eli did not restrain his children. Perhaps it was simply because they were his children and he thought, well, they'll, they'll get back on the right track. Perhaps he just thought it's not my job to deal with this uh, anymore. They're grown men. They don't need to worry about it. Whatever it was, God said it was his job. And it's our job with our own children to make sure that they don't end up like Eli's household. Uh, that's an excellent point. And what's interesting is when we go back to chapter two and verse, starting in verse 22, we read that Eli did actually warn his sons about their reputation among the land, about the things they were doing. And that punishment was, you know, I mean, they're essentially they're, they're, dealing in treacherous territory as far as God's concerned. But he's still called out by God in verse 13 that he did not restrain them. It's one thing, uh, and I like that you brought up the discipline of children. It's one thing to warn our children. It's another thing to rear them, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, there's more action involved than just simply saying, hey, something's going to happen. And and the implication here is that Eli had the at least the ability to try and do something more than he did. Yeah. Uh, and so I underline that phrase, I'm about to punish. And I put out on the margin, the Lord's judgment, not mine. And the reason I put that is because overall speaking, when we read about Eli, we read, I, at least me personally, come away thinking Eli was a good person. And I think he was. I'm not saying he wasn't. But I think sometimes what happens is we look at people, oh, they're a good person. And so things like this, messages of, of uh, warning, which are found at the end of Chapter 2, uh, eventual punishment if uh, that good person doesn't heed the warning, we look at it like, well, that's unfair, that's not right. But the reality is it's not our place to determine who who who. Uh, who who should uh, receive the judgment i put eli honored his sons over jehovah acts chapter 5 verse 29 where it says we ought to obey god rather than man and and like you mentioned we don't know the details of why he didn't do it we don't know the details of uh his hesitation for whatever reason but we do know that for some reason he chose his chose his sons over god whatever it was uh, and that's why be, he's being chastised here. And then I underline because his sons were blaspheming God, uh, just to illustrate the righteous judgment of God, blaspheming God, Leviticus chapter 24, verses 11 through 16. And verse 23, just blaspheming God was a uh, offense punishable by death. In fact, when Jesus uh, was accused of it, wasn't guilty of it uh, because he was God. But when he was accused of it, they picked up rocks to stone him. Uh, and that's essentially the reason they gave for crucifying him. Because under the old law, if a mortal man like you and me, not the son of God, but a mortal man like you and me were to put ourselves on level with God, then we were deserving of death. Uh, Deuteronomy 17 and verse 12, their blasphemy of God would have made them guilty as priests to, be, to die. And then uh, Deuteronomy 21, verses 18 through 21, their disrespect as children would have made them worthy of death. And so the death that's going to come upon Hophni and Phinehas, the, the sons of Eli, was not a sudden 
realization that they did something wrong. This was laid out in God's law long before they ever held those roles. But also, uh, it was just. Uh, they deserved exactly what God was going uh, to bring upon them. Uh, the only other note I have as far as this section is I go down to verse 14. When it talks about no sacrifice uh, or uh, no, uh, not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Uh, I put chapter 2 and verse 25 uh, where they were warned it was coming. Uh, so it wasn't like uh, they, they weren't given an opportunity. Uh, and then I put Hebrews chapter 10 verses 26 through 31. Uh, and they reached a point where uh, the Hebrew author uh, warns his audience that you're going to you, you eventually you keep going down the road of immaturity and neglect and so forth. You're going to get to the road where you're not going to come back, not because the opportunity to come back is not there, but because your heart is so hardened that you won't be able to reach it. And that's what he's saying here. And the only reason I say that is because I was reading some commentaries and they were making the point that God was God forced uh, them to do this and he would not forgive them. Uh, in order to prove his point, and uh, we need to establish right here uh, before we go any further that uh, the sons of Eli brought this upon themselves. They got punished, and they missed out on the blessings of God, not because of anything God did, but because of their choices. You know, and today I think part of the reason that happens where people even make an avenue for that, we have gone so far away from disciplining our own children at times. And we get to the point where we just believe everything. They've done everything right. They've never done anything wrong. And I saw a picture uh, as a cartoon that said, you know, 50 years ago or 20 or 30 years ago. And it shows a group of parents with a teacher and they're holding up a bad grade to their child going, what is the meaning of this? And then it has the next panel today. It has the parents forcing that up to the teacher and saying, what is the meaning of this? How about the children? Like Genesis 3, 7 says, if you do well, Genesis 4, 7, if you do well, you'll be accepted. Mm -hmm. If you do what's right, you don't have to fear. If, if these two children of Eli had not brought this upon themselves, chapter 3 would not have this revelation revealed to Samuel. It would have potentially been a completely different revelation. Uh, but this is not anyone's fault but their own. And it, it's like the child who touches the stove and then wants to kick the stove. Well, you touched it. You know, the stove didn't do anything wrong. It's it's going to be hot and there will be punishment if you do something that is ignorant and foolish. God's the same way. God will not punish anyone that does not deserve it and has not brought it upon themselves. You're right. And Eli did his sons no sir, no service, uh, did him no benefit by not restraining them. That's right. Uh, whatever, again, whatever his reason was, he did not help them, even though he may have thought he was. Verse 15, Samuel lay until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision of Eli. I've underlined uh, the phrase, he opened the doors. It's a double entendre. Uh, one, he opened the doors to go in and complete his daily task as he had the days before this. But in opening the doors here, uh, with this message that God had provided him to deliver, he was also opening the doors of a new spiritual era uh, of leadership in Israel. And, and I think that's uh, intentional there by the Holy Spirit. Then underline that phrase, Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. 
And I boxed that word afraid. And I put just simply these two questions of whom and for what. And I think this is the area for me personally where it starts to take that preacher tone to it. When you look at the fact that he was afraid, we have to ask that question of whom. And a, and a preacher has to do the same thing. When you have to deliver a, a difficult message, and I'm not chastising uh, or degrading Samuel in this. I, I think it's good that there was not the hesitation necessarily, but the fact that he had to go deliver this message to Eli, I think it's good that he didn't enjoy doing this. And I think if there's a preacher out there that does enjoy chiding his audience, then he probably needs to, he needs to double check why he's preaching. Uh, but so I think it's good, but I think as preachers sometimes in, 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 in this case, when we find ourselves in this case, it's good to step back and kind of ask why it's uneasy. Yeah. He's not afraid because of the message the Lord gave him. He's delivering the Lord's message. He's afraid of Eli's reaction. And why is he afraid of it? Well, is he afraid of it because God is wanting to punish him, just randomly chose Eli and his family to punish? No. Is he afraid uh, because uh, God's unfair and, and out of line? No. He's afraid, or, or the reason this is difficult is because, one, Eli had failure on his part. He didn't restrain, uh, restrain his sons. And two, Hophni and Phinehas sinned. And when we look at it from a preacher's perspective today, why is it difficult to preach on things like marriage, divorce, and remarriage, or homosexuality, or modesty? Mm -hmm. It's not because the message of God's unfair. It's not because God is... Um, unrighteous in his judgment of those things being wrong it's because there are those in the audience that we're concerned may get their feelings hurt because their marriage is in the right place or they don't dress the way that they should or they support some things that contradict the will of god it's not because of anything god did it's because of the audience and i think my dad said this concerning this verse when it said samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli, he said, he'll get over this. Yeah. Uh, and then next to that, I put Ezekiel three seventeen through 21, where God told Ezekiel, essentially, if the sinner sins and you warn him and he dies, you're good. He goes, but if the sinner sins and you don't warn him, he will die, but that blood will be upon your hands. And I think this is exactly falls into that category. Yeah, it's amazing. I, uh, in Logos, it lets you like separate lines if you want to. And so I separated the line, open the doors of the house of the Lord from the rest of the verse. Uh, and I, I had put on that, you know, he's still just a doorkeeper right now. You know, mm -hmm. he's, he's not yet made the, the crossing over, so to speak, until he tells Eli about the vision that he had or the, you know, revelation that God gave to him. It's still business as usual for him that morning. He didn't get this arrogant attitude and say, well, I'm now a prophet of the Lord. I don't got to do that anymore. He still did what his job was. I loved your point about the double entendre, though, because you're right. He opened the door of a new spiritual era. I had bolded the, the phrase Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. W wouldn't you be, too? I mean, like, you know, there's oh, yeah. that you preach where, you know, the truth is a truth, like you said, but 
uh, you know, you get done preaching and your knees are just kind of weak because you are worried, kind of like John 6, 60 through 66, you're worried that people are going to be so offended with the word of God that they'll leave. And it's not, I think we need to make sure people know this. And I know you know this. It, we're not worried about losing contribution. We're not worried about losing a numerical amount because we need a, a higher number in a congregation to feed a preacher's ego. We're worried for the same reason that John tells us about, that people will turn and walk with Jesus no more. Mm -hmm. And Eli is this man of authority over Samuel. Samuel's going to come and tell him this vision that he had. And there's a lot on the line. It, it really does remind me too of what Esther had said in Esther chapter four. You know, if I go before the king and I haven't been, I'm going to die. And mm -hmm. Mordecai says, well, you're going to die anyway, because we'll be delivered by someone, Esther 414. And you can't hide in the palace, verse 13. So you need to just go and do this. It's either certain death, or maybe you're put to death by the king. Samuel has to be wondering, am I going to get kicked out of the work of the Lord? You know, is Eli going to respond with such anger that I will, you know, lose out on this wonderful mentorship and the other blessings that I have as a part of the work of the Lord? And today we have so many people that say the same thing. You alluded to it in what you said. It feels like, Josh, we have a problem in our world of we don't really fully trust in God as much as we should in the church. We we struggle to preach on marriage, divorce and remarriage. We struggle to preach on pornography and other topics that are hot button issues because we're afraid that people will get so upset or so offended that we would even talk about such matters that they're going to leave. Jesus lost a bunch of disciples that day, but a remnant remained, and that was enough. God will take care of us. God won't let anything happen that will stop the growth of his church and stop people from learning the truth. But it's kind of like John chapter 15, the true vine. Sometimes those branches have to be trimmed. They mm -hmm. cannot just stay there and grow. And in this case, if Samuel went to Eli and told him the vision, and Eli did burst into a fit and began to do things, well, do we really think God would not have protected Samuel? Um, and so I, I think this is a verse that it's it's very small, you know, in the context of everything else. But it packs a powerful punch uh, because of what what follows it. Absolutely right. And uh, let's look at Eli's response starting in 16. But Eli called Samuel, said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. Verse 17. And Eli said, what is it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. God may do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. Verse 18. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And then, and then I look and this is the reason uh, I chose this passage to discuss with you was was the response of, of Eli. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. What are your thoughts on this passage? Man, it's an, it's an incredible, you know, couple of verses because verse 16, I, I love how you put it earlier. The Holy Spirit doesn't do certain things by accident, you know, when he writes certain ways. Samuel, my son, this relationship that they had, they were close together. But I, I like to use the color blue to indicate servants of the Lord because it's, it's my favorite color. And so earlier in the chapter when Eli had told him, hey, when you hear the call again, say, speak for your servant hears. I highlighted that response from Samuel in blue. And here's Samuel again saying, here I am. He's still showing the respect to Eli, even though he's been given this revelation. 
And I thought it was amazing. Uh, God do so to you and more also, if you hide anything from me of all the things he said to you, tell me what this vision from the Lord is. And, and you got you got to see the hilarity there because Samuel's sitting there thinking, well, I don't want God to do to me what I've got to tell you he's about to do to your house. And I highlight those types of things that talk about sin or punishments from God in orange uh, to mm -hmm. indicate that that's what they're they're discussing. And he told him everything. And I, I love how it it adds that verse and hid nothing from him in the New King James. Version. You know, he didn't keep something back. A lot of times in modern sermons in certain church buildings and even in the Lord's church, there are people who they don't tell everything. They keep some stuff back because they know if I say this, this is going to happen. And so I'll just I'll just allude to it and we'll move on. Samuel told him everything didn't hide a single thing from him. And the entire time Samuel's doing all of this, here is Eli. And it's kind of like those sermons. Once you're done, the very first thing you you ask yourself is, how'd that get received? How are people going to respond to it? And Eli's response was not one that was joyful. He didn't say, this is wonderful news. I'm thankful that God is going to do this. You, you can almost seemingly hear the sorrow in his voice, but the, you know, he's, he's essentially just, he's come to terms with it. It's mm -hmm. going, you know, this is the Lord, let him do what seems good or what's right for him to do. Uh, God is a righteous judge. And if Eli hears this and hears, Hey, this is what the Lord said to me. Eli could not have responded and said, no, God didn't speak to you. Cause Eli knew. He had warned Samuel, hey, if you hear the voice again, say this, speak for your servant hears. So Eli knew that the vision was from the Lord. He said as much in verse 17. What is it that the Lord spoke to you? Remember, revelation was rare in this time. And so this is a huge deal. You know, th this is like some of those concerts by these musicians that are retired and they come back for a farewell tour. All those tickets get sold out. Everybody wants to go and see it. It's a one night only, you know, type of event with a popular movie or a popular, you know, Super Bowl. This is a massive event. And Eli wants to know what it's about. And when he hears it, he doesn't respond in such a way like we see today. This is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. If this is what needs to be done, then so be it. I'll let I'm not going to fight it. Who, what am I going to do? Convince him not to do this. God's going to do what's right in his eyes to do because he's a righteous judge and Samuel we're not really told you know right after this verse what Samuel's reaction was after he gets this message out and I think there's a, a you know an indication of that you just keep going it, it's right. just, it's just business as usual you know we don't we don't take pleasure to get up like you said earlier and and beat people over the head with the word of God but when we do preach and we do get through that message we can't be apologetic of what the Bible says either. And too many people are trying to do that. And then they say, well, I'm sorry I offended you. Again, John 6, Jesus didn't go after those people and say, oh, I'm sorry. Let me change my teaching so that you like me more. He said, are you going to go away because you're offended? That's what really it is. It's not a hard saying. You understand it. You just don't like it. Mm -hmm. And then when they leave, you know, there's a sorrow, it seems, when Jesus turns to the 12 and says, are you going to leave too? Samuel had a moment that is very similar to this, where if he doesn't tell Eli, 
then Eli is going to go along as if nothing's wrong, so to speak, doesn't understand this is coming. He's warning Eli about this again. But Samuel also has to tell him because God gave him the message to tell people. And we have the Bible today that is the revelation. And it's not just rare in our time. There is no more revelation from God. We have all the revelation we're ever going to get. And so I've got to take what that revelation is and tell it to others despite how they might respond. Thankfully, in this case, Eli responded in a way that was respectful to the Lord and understanding the Lord has a right to dictate who is punished, why they're punished because of what they've done. And really, something I hadn't thought of until just now, God's not obligated to give a warning to Eli either. You know, if God really wanted to with the children of Eli and the way that they behaved, God could have just completely punished them and said nothing in the moment. But there's something about this that also, you know, kind of stands out. It's a warning. Here's the warning to Eli. It's, it's coming. It's going to happen. Here's the punishment that's been laid out and why. And that's what preachers do. We warn people. Ezekiel 3, 17 through 21. We're, we're watchmen who are trying our best to warn people of the upcoming day of judgment. And we pray and we plead for people to respond to it. That's great. I uh, underlined, do not hide it from me in verse 17. And I put first Peter two and verse two as newborn babes decide the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Sometimes desiring the sincere milk of the word is, is not the message you want to hear. And, and, uh, you know, we, we chided, Eli earlier in verse 13 because he was condemned because he did not restrain him well he needs to be commended here in the way that he accepted this message I uh, underline that phrase at the end of verse 17 where it says uh, from he said hide in, uh, don't hide anything from me uh, of all that he told you and I just underlined that phrase he told you and made the made the note that Eli accepted it as God's message not Samuels and how much different would the church look today if the congregation or the audience understood that when a preacher preaches from God's word book chapter and verses everything that he says how much beneficial would the church be if they received it not as the preacher's message but as the message of God and uh, unfortunately, that's, you, you preach on something that's difficult and you think the preacher is attacking you when it's not. Uh, the reality is it's the Lord that's attacking you the same way that he uh, and attacks, not the best word, but it's the, the Lord criticizing you, even though their words are coming out of the mouth of Samuel. And that's how what's his name took it also uh, or Eli. I want to say what's his name, but uh, that's how Eli took it. And. I underline that phrase is the Lord, let him do what seems good to him. And and I agree with you. There's, there's gotta be sorrow in this. And I put Leviticus 10 and verse three, and that was Aaron's response after Nadab and Abihu. And you talk about no warning uh, there. There's always a warning, not in the sense that we have here, but the law was set out for Eli and his family. So there's your warning. When God gives you the command up front and tells you that if you accept it and follow it, you'll be blessed. And if you don't, then you'll be punished. There's your warning. And that's I like how you made that point that he didn't he didn't he didn't he wasn't obligated to give them the additional warning. He had already done that before in the book of Leviticus and the book of Deuteronomy. Now 
uh, he he brings the punishment. Aaron and uh, Aaron's response to Leviticus 10-3 after Nadab and Abihu offered strange fire and they died immediately. Aaron held his tongue. Second mm-hmm. Corinthians chapter 12, 9 and 10, Paul uh, be, uh, prays three times that the thorn in his flesh be removed. God finally tells him, no, what's his response? Then I will take joy in my my discomfort uh, because the power of God is made perfect in my weakness. So I'm going to I'm going to uh, lean into it, for lack of a better term, yeah. rather than go. And then Job chapter one, after he loses an entire family and all his possessions, and he essentially says, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Praise be the name of the Lord, regardless. And now that's the attitude of Eli here. Good news, bad news. It doesn't matter. God deserves to do what he wants to do, and he deserves to be praised regardless of the outcome of God's message. Uh, and I think if we as audiences today and and as a preacher still putting myself in that audience, if we as preachers today and, and audiences today would take the same uh, stance that Eli took, then you're going to have, if the audience would treat God's word the way Eli treated God's word, you're going to have more preachers preaching God's word the way it should be preached. Yeah. And, and, and it's a, it's a circular uh, reactive reaction in, in that sense. A preacher preaches how he should, and the audience receives it how he should. You're just going to get a preacher who continues to preach how he should and an audience that continues to go. And so it, it preaching is, we think when, when we look at preaching from the worship standpoint, that it's a passive form of worship for the audience uh, in the sense, the active parts being done by the preacher and then passively the audience is receiving it. Um, but that's not the case. The case is it's active on both parts. The preacher preaches it and like Acts 17, like the Bereans, the audience is verifying what he is saying is true. Uh, and then there's action that, that goes when the word of God is being preached truthfully by a preacher and the message moves through the auditorium. And sometimes that message will proverbially step on the toes of the audience. It is the audience's responsibility to get their feet out of the aisle not the preacher's responsibility to change the message. And uh, if we as an audience would take what Eli did, then the church would be stronger um, naturally. That's right. All right, verse 19. <clears throat> it says, Then Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And Israel from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. What, do you, what are your thoughts there on the last part of this? Well, it's kind of amazing. You know, the movies often will talk about, and I know it's probably a weird thing to say, but, you know, uh, after the movie establishes, like, for example, at Transformers or a movie that does not have something happening very common at the beginning, obviously robots fighting each other is not realistic. But at the beginning of the movie, there's nothing like that. But by the end of the movie, it's common. It's just, oh, that's that's our life now. Well, I find it amazing at the end of this chapter, we start with the revelation of the Lord was rare in those days. And now it's become commonplace. It is a thing for God and Samuel to communicate together in verse 21. He revealed himself to Samuel and Shiloh by the word of the Lord. 
that's revelation that he's giving him from what he needs him to know as a prophet of God. And from Dan to Beersheba, I looked it up in, in our current world. It'd be about 150 miles as the crow flies. Uh, and so back in this time, though, you weren't able to just hop in a plane or a car and drive from Dan to Beersheba and get there in a few hours. This word had to travel by word of mouth and people had to go and tell others. And, you know, often we talk about the game telephone and how you can't play that game without having the phrase get misconstrued and taken the wrong way. Well, when God's involved with the message, it doesn't get misconstrued. The word of what Samuel had done and been established as a prophet of the Lord became very well known from the very top of the Israelite nations to the very bottom of the Israelite nations. The whole, you know, nation of the children of Israel, they now know this is the prophet of the Lord. And it's a it's a changing of the guard in some ways. It's a new it's it's kind of amazing. This little doorkeeper, you know, is now a prophet of the Lord. And we often look at the way people rise up to, you know, intense fame, people who were homeless at one point, and then they become world-class athletes and they work hard and they perform in such a way where they never are homeless again. Samuel is just the least, so to speak, the bottomest rung on the totem pole in the work of the Lord. And yet now he is one that communicates with God. And in doing so, he grew, verse 19, and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. That again today, we're not going to have some miraculous ability of God to make sure when I preach the truth that nothing falls on deaf ears or that nobody essentially refuses to listen. But it's a statement of Samuel had to minister as a prophet to people like King Saul. We know how that went. Not very well. Uh, a hard-headed people and a hard-headed king. And yet Samuel's words were able to reach the people whose hearts were pricked by the message of the Lord. It really is true what the Ecclesiastes writer said. There's nothing new under the sun. If I preach and teach God's word faithfully, God will let that message fall upon the right soil. And if it goes on soil that it doesn't make it through, it's not always. It can be the messenger's fault if he doesn't do his job right, but it's not always on the messenger. If you've done your part and the seed does not germinate, well, then what can you really do about it? What can you really change? All you can do is preach the truth faithfully, reproving, rebuking, and exhorting people and doing everything you can to give the word of the Lord, just like Samuel did. And people will know. They'll hear about what you've done, and, and the community will hear about who you are. Your local congregation will be strengthened by that. And in Logos, I find it interesting, the chapter division here, they kept chapter 4 and verse 1 together in my, my translation. And the word of Samuel came to all of Israel. But in reality, the word of Samuel was the word of the Lord. And so when Samuel spoke, it was important. And today we have a tendency sometimes when a preacher gets up to preach, if we're tired from work or we've kind of had a long week and it's Wednesday night or it's Sunday morning and we're, we're really exhausted, we have a tendency to kind of check out. And we forget that it's not the preacher's words that we're supposed to be thinking about, but the words from God that he's trying to communicate to us. That's all Samuel's job is to do, too. He has no responsibility to get some big name and become an egocentric preacher. He wants to tell people what God wants them to know. And in doing so, 
the word of Samuel came to all of Israel. And so if we will do the same thing today. We can have similar success and be established as preachers that are men of the book who live the book as well. I bracketed this section uh, 19 through 21, and I just simply put the note outcome of Samuel's dedication and Eli's response to God's message. Samuel did the hard thing, delivered the message the way God told him to deliver it. Eli responded to it the way that God had intended for him to respond to it. Uh, and, and you see that Samuel not only grew, but that the word of the Lord spread throughout the land uh, as a result. You cut out a little bit there, but you did mention Second uh, Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. So I, I underlined that phrase, let none of his words fall to the ground. I just made the note, and I believe this was given to me by Alan Webster, uh, the preacher's prayer, uh, which is that's it. Uh, and then I put Second Timothy 4, 1 through 4, where Paul tells them to preach the word, being said in season, out season. And if we preach God's word, then his words are not going to fall to the ground. The audience may not be the one catching it, but the words aren't going to fall to the ground because you're pleasing to God. Just a there's a congregation I heard over here recently, and this this and again this is I'm not trying to 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 convey a prosperity type of message here that uh, wealth, abundant wealth and riches will come to us if we do this. Uh, I'm just using it from an illustrative standpoint, but there's a congregation who fired a sound doctor, uh, a sound gospel preacher and brought in a false teacher. And that's just being a direct way of saying it. Because there were a, a large group within the audience of this congregation that did not support the false teaching and was uh, supportive of the, the, the truth, they actually went with the, the gospel preacher that had been fired and formed their own congregation as a result. Now, I'm not condoning all church splits, but in this instance, this was necessary. Uh, and again, this isn't uh, a blanket peanut butter spread of, of this is what's going to happen for everybody. But from an illustrative standpoint, the congregation that's adhered to the truth and, and left and, and started uh, with God's word at the focus of what they're doing is actually now in the process of building a new building and they're growing and all that. The congregation uh, that, that hired the false teacher uh, and as from what I understand, it's just they're, they're missing their budget by six figures. Uh, they're shrinking drastically. Uh, and again, not not saying that that'll be the case in everything. But I do think you see an instance where God's blessing those who hold to the truth and the ones who are not are, are facing the repercussions. Regardless, even if that even if it was vice versa and the one who who was adhering to the truth was having issues meeting the budget and the one with the false teaching was still prospering. God's word was still uh, deserves to be adhered to. And the ones adhering to God's word, regardless of the outcome, were the ones who are still ahead. And, and I think that's uh, what we learned from this particular uh, passage of God's word is that when you preach the message and you receive the message the way it should be, uh, then everything uh, is going to work out. Absolutely. Absolutely. You have anything else on this? 
no, I, I enjoyed this study a lot when I was going through it myself. And it's, uh, it is a hard thing to imagine being little Samuel, you know, so to speak and, uh, <laughs> and going after, uh, your mentor with the word of God that is less than pleasant, but, uh, it's an encouraging passage for preachers and for Christians alike, like you said earlier to realize we need to tell others, you know, uh, don't want to be the person on the day of judgment in this way the song says that someone looks at me and says, you didn't tell me I was in sin and you knew right. you didn't tell me I was doing something wrong and you knew. And so, uh, man, I enjoy being on the podcast. I've enjoyed the study greatly and looking forward to listening to more episodes. Yeah. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for it. I, you know, listen, I, I'm very appreciative of anyone who joins me on this because I know we only spend 40 to 40 to 50 minutes, uh, you know, going over this. And so that's about an hour of their time in that. But the the study that's required to to be able to deliver it and talk it that way is is a lot of time. And I appreciate that. And uh, I think that's a great way to end this in this episode. Thank you, uh, Michael, for being on it with us. Thank you to our audience for listening to it. Uh, like, share, subscribe. All Michael's information I'll put down into the notes below as well as ours. Go support the Scattered Broad uh, Network. Uh, support this channel by sharing it, liking, subscribing, all that good stuff. And also, if you know somebody who's interested in preaching, uh, reach out to the Memphis School of Preaching where Michael works, and he'll give you a call. Uh, because that, if the the world needs anything, it's more preachers. Thank you again, and we are out.